Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. guys this is brandon bickmore your turbo lover this is the minds gym podcast i'm back again to hope you guys enjoyed last week's podcast and hope you guys are slowing down and noticing your thoughts uh, i got a good buddy here today i'm going to interview uh, uh this guy's a comedian a uh, pretty hilarious dude but anyways his name's mark rollins and uh he was uh recently excommunicated from the LDS church. And so we're going to discuss some of his thoughts and feelings about the process and how he is doing currently. And I know a lot of our listeners are LDS, and the last thing I want to do is offend anyone. Uh, So please just be open to the thoughts and the ideas of what you hear today. Listen with an open mind and especially an open heart. These are just another human's thoughts and we are all allowed to have them. And remember, only one person can actually offend you, and that is yourself. So, welcome, Mark. How's it going, brother? Doing well, thanks. Good. Uh, how? I wasn't sure how long ago was it when... Uh, July 2015. So it's been four years. Yeah. Cool. So tell me a little bit about being raised in... Um, an, LDS family? Um, Well, it's very typical for Utah Mormons, but um, I was born and raised in Salt Lake City. I have four brothers, two sisters. We were active um, members of the church. Um, The term that they use in Mormon nomenclature is born in the covenant. That means that my parents were married in the temple before they had their children. My family goes back all the way to the beginning of the church. The first Rollins that was baptized into the church was in 1830, which is the same year that the church was organized by Joseph Smith, so six or seven generations. So my heritage is all LDS. My upbringing is all LDS. Every friend that I had in elementary school was LDS. Um, Really, it... You know, a lot of these thoughts, well, all of these thoughts are now in hindsight. And so my opinion has changed in the last four years about what that was. But um, in that in that I say that the church, like, dominated every aspect of my life. But that wasn't a bad thing growing up. Yeah. It, it, it was just the way it was. Sure. It was. You didn't I, know any different, right? I didn't know any different. Yeah. Couldn't know any different. I really didn't really have in my consciousness that there were other churches or other systems of belief, yeah. especially as a toddler and growing up. But, um, yeah, just did the typical Mormon life, went to church every Sunday. I'm actually old enough to 
remember that we actually used to go to two hours of church on Sunday and one hour of church on Wednesday. And then sometime in the late 70s, I think they changed that to three hours on Sunday. Um, so it was really consuming every bit of my life. Um, as I get into high school, I uh, went to seminary, which is Sunday school at school. And in Utah, outside of Utah, you go to seminary, it's early morning seminary. You go for a couple hours before school starts, a couple days a week. Uh, in Utah, it's just one of your class periods. So fourth period is seminary. And so you go from math over to seminary and back. So I was being indoctrinated. Um, that's my term now. Yeah. At then, I was just living life. Sure. Um, three hours on Sunday, uh, one hour every day. Uh, at school, um, we had youth programs, so I would spend maybe, it was called Mutual, where the young men and the young women get together at the church, maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday for two or three hours. Um, I was a Boy Scout as a teenager, and again, in Utah, it's a little bit different, I think. The Boy Scout program is technically separate from the church, um, always has been. But in Utah, it's really, there's no different. Yeah. Um, the boys that I was in the scout troop with, they were all LDS. The scout leaders that I had were the same guys that were teaching me Sunday school. Yeah. So that was another night of the week. And so the, the point I'm bringing up with that is that this high demand religion, it really consumes all of your life. And if you're believing in it, it's a good thing, and you're happy, and you're just living life, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. So did you, do you remember as a kid, did you enjoy church, and did you enjoy scouts? I enjoyed, I enjoyed all the things that were like fun activities, just like any kid, just very typical. Um, I wasn't a rowdy kid. I wasn't a, a punk. I wasn't going out and drinking and partying ever. Mm -hmm. Um so, uh, but were there times that I'd rather just stay home? Um, yeah, but I would also say, uh, you know, I wanted to go, but it wasn't necessarily for the spiritual aspect of it. It was to hang out with my buddies because yeah. that was always better. I had a big family, small house, so staying at home wasn't always all that wasn't great anyways. And there was enough fun going on around the, the spiritual stuff. Um, that I was okay with it. And I was I was fine going with it. Huh. Did uh, your like siblings today and your parents still um, involved in the church? Yeah. Uh, well, I have a s uh, brother and sister. My oldest brother and sister left the church in high school. My mm -hmm. sister got pregnant. I think her senior year or something like that, or maybe right after. 17 years old. Mm. Um, and so that, uh, they either left the church. I think my sister was excommunicated, I heard. I don't know for sure if it was just disfellowshipment, which is a lower punishment for, like, the sexual misdeed that she did or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they were out. My parents have always been very active. They had us doing family home evenings. They... We had family prayer every single night where everybody would pray all the way down the line. All yeah. huh. 
nine of us. Cool. Um, so um, with all that being said, you're a pretty good typical LDS child, right? Followed the, all the law rules. of the land, right? Yep. You were a good kid. Then you decided to go on a mission, right? Which a two-year service program. 19 years old. Church, right. Um, Remember your thoughts around all that? Did you want to go on a mission or did you feel? Yes, and it was mixed with uh, uh, primarily the main reason I wanted to go was because I was serving God. Yeah. I was going to help people know the joy that I thought that I was experiencing. Yeah as being a member of the true church, the one true church, and I had to convert as many people as I could or help them yeah. be converted to the truth. So were you excited to go on a mission? I was excited to go on a mission. Um, like I said, I had a big family crowded, and I wanted to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. That was appealing to me when I opened my calling, and it said I was going to the Philippines, which I really didn't even know existed. I was a little disheartened. Um, because uh, I thought, oh, that's that's weird. I had uh, a, a lot of kids uh, around my age growing up. A lot of them went to South America, speaking Spanish. So in in high school and junior high, actually, I I really took all the I took Spanish class more than I was required to because I wanted to be really good at speaking Spanish and really fluent by the time I went on my mission because I assumed that's where I would go. Yeah. Um, and so this was this was kind of a wrench in the works because they don't speak Spanish <laughs> in the Philippines and it was clear on the other side of the world. And I'm also a picky eater. Um, you wouldn't think that looking at me because I'm a big fellow, but I only like a few things. I just eat a lot of it when I find it. Donuts are good. Yeah. And uh, I'm with you. So I was worried about that kind of stuff, but it, it didn't matter because I knew I was doing the right thing and yeah. I was going to do my service to God. Sure. And do you ever remember having any uh, like second guessing or second thoughts about about going, or were you pretty gung ho? A lot about of missionaries I've talked to didn't really originally want to go; they felt a lot of pressure around it. But you were you were pretty much wanting. It was yeah, your choice. I certainly know what they're talking about when they say the pressure, because the pressure is there, but it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I cool. didn't feel like I didn't want to go. Once I got there, I didn't really want to hang out there very, very long. I wanted to come home after about two weeks, but yeah. I didn't. Huh. I stuck it out. So tell me just a little bit about your farewell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I know where that question came from. <laughs> so, uh, Did you enjoy your farewell? Uh, I didn't have a farewell, um, which, if you know the LDS culture, that's a really taboo thing, um, uh, because that's the big celebration. Sure. Um, when everybody goes, your family comes, and it's a big, it's a, it's a church service, which is dedicated just to you as being the center of attention, and that's really the, the main reason I didn't do it, yeah. because despite my activity, like I said, I wasn't a bad kid. I was doing all the right things. Put in my application mission. Um, I attended church. Mm-hmm. I prayed in my personal life. But if you asked me to pray in class, I'd dodge it. I guess I could do it when I was just with my buddies. Just you kind of say the rote, real quick prayer. I was actually a really, really prayerful person in private. Yeah. I would talk to God all 
all night long, all day long. I'd have him ask me, or I'd ask him to help me with wrestling, with football, with whatever, with math, with science, all my homework and stuff. And I felt like I had this great relationship with God. Um, but if you wanted me to, if you gave, if you gave me assignment to talk in church, I didn't go. <laughs> I was sick that day. Uh, I would avoid it like the plague. Yeah. I did a couple of times to get some merit badge for public speaking. <laughs> That's it. So <laughs> when uh, I was called to the, the traditional thing is you get your calling. Okay, we're setting the farewell for this Sunday. Blah blah blah. You'll. You know, your mom or dad will talk, maybe a brother, a friend will talk, and then you talk for the rest because everybody's here to listen to you. And I said, I don't, I don't want to do it. And my my bishop said, well, you have to do it. And he wasn't sure what he was saying because <laughs> I can't believe it's going here. I, I wasn't even, this wasn't even part of the Hey, the I thing. do my homework, bro. Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> She said, you, you have to do it. And I'm also, uh, my friends will tell you um, I'm a stubborn person. My family will tell me I'm a stubborn person. If I make up my mind that yeah. I'm not going to do a farewell, I'm not going to do a farewell. Right. Um, my bishop threatened me that if I didn't do a farewell, I wouldn't go on a mission. And so my response was, okay, I guess I'll go to school. I'll and stay home. I'll stay home then. You know, let's see who's... Yeah. Who's going to win this tug of war? And uh, he went to the stake president, who was a, a good friend of mine. The stake president um, was a scout leader. Uh, he, was, he lived in my ward, so I knew him well. He knew me well. And he said, uh, no, Bishop, it's uh, not a requirement. We won't, uh, we won't uh, have a farewell. So. Oh. He put the bishop in his place, I wow. guess, and I did not have a farewell. So you won the tug of war. I won. Your mom and dad were okay with that? My mom and dad don't really. Yeah. They're all right. Well, they were probably glad that they didn't have to talk yeah. in church. They, they didn't really want to talk We're just quiet either. people. We're yeah, just a quiet family. Out there. Cool. So you attended your mission in the Philippines, and uh, they speak Tagala there, right? Tagalog? Uh, Tagalog is the national language. They have over 100 dialects. Wow. Yeah. And uh, how was your experience there? You mentioned earlier after uh, about two weeks you wanted to leave. Why? I think it was cultural shock. It was uh, food shock. I didn't like the food. Uh, their their diet is primarily... And I was yeah, I was in this... My first area was in, in the boonies in this really remote village hours away from the city that had the airport that I flew in on. Um, the diet is fish and rice. I didn't like rice. I didn't like fish. And so I had nothing to eat. I was eating. Uh, it was a brand of saltine crackers, brand of crackers called Sky Flakes. And uh, we didn't drink the water because it was it could make you sick. You had to boil our, our water. So I had a diet of Sprite. Because Coke had caffeine in it, and that's oh, you illegal. Drink that. Oh, oh. That, that died off real quick because I started drinking Coke like, like it was water. Um, Sprite and Sky Flakes, and I, I wasn't a big kid going out. I was probably 160 pounds, and I think I was 130 pounds at a point where I had an intervention by my mission president's wife because I wasn't eating. 
Oh, really? We had house helps that would cook so our meals. So and she ratted me out. To the you lost weight? Oh, yeah. Right off the bat when you got out there? Yeah. Oh. So I wasn't eating. And really? then I just... Um, my mission president's mom said, hey, they know what potatoes are. You can have them make you a potato. And yeah. Anyways, I just started trying more food. I was starving. I had yeah. to eat something, so I ended up eating some stuff. I still don't like fish. Yeah. But, uh, so you started branching out a little bit. Yeah. I tried some chicken. Yeah. That saved my life. Cool. So, <laughs> so um, but I think it was just that, that culture shock. I, I really wanted to go home, and if I knew which direction to head out and if I could speak the language, which I couldn't at the time, because I went out before they did language training in the MTC. Yeah. I went out English speaking. I had to learn the language while I was there. Um, oh. If I could have found the airport, I would have gone home. Really? Without telling anybody. Really? Yeah, that's... Huh. And you can ask the guy that told you about the farewell. Yeah. About, I'll, about I'll just show home. I'll just go home. Yeah. If I don't like where I am, I don't care where I am in the world. Really? But, but you stayed. I couldn't, couldn't find the airport, so I stayed, and then I ended up loving it. I ended up, by the end of two years, I extended... Um, yeah as often as they would let me, I extended for two different months. Yeah. When I was supposed to go home in November or September or October, sorry, then I extended November, extended December, came home. So you had a pretty good mission then. Yeah. What we would call a good mission, you really, sounds like you enjoyed yourself. And and now uh, the Philippines is my favorite place in the world, as you know. Yeah, you love it there. It's fun to go there. We went there last year. Two years ago? 2018, January. Yeah, yeah. just to go with uh, him and his buddy David. We went there, and they both can speak the language. And Pretty cool to hang out with people that actually know the language in a, a different country. It's fun to watch. I enjoyed it. Um, so anything else about your mission you want to share? Any highlights or lowlights? Anything um, that... Uh, just probably you know. that I was a good missionary. Because I think a lot of times... Since you started this uh, podcast, introducing me as a, a friend of yours that was excommunicated, I think as soon as you say that that word, as soon as that X sound comes out of your mouth, yeah. a whole bunch of assumptions jump into people's head about sure. who I was. And that's why I'm not I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything when I say I was a good kid. Yeah. I was a good kid. Yeah. So that people don't say, well, because yeah. he drank beer yeah. in high school, yeah. he that was. You know the introduction of Satan into his life, or yeah, whatever. For sure. And or if I say I kind of goofed off, or I was a lazy missionary. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm also yeah. trying to be honest and say I'm not like Mr. Yeah. Gung Ho Peter Priesthood sure. missionary, but I'm a right. good missionary. I obey all the rules. Yeah. And part of that, I'll admit, is because I'm in a foreign country. There's, I mean, yeah. there's no movie theaters. Yeah. <laughs> And I think they're all in Tagalog, and I wouldn't understand or enjoy the movie. So yeah. there's nothing to do there but yeah. missionary work when you're a missionary. Right. So. Yeah. And you're a good human being anyways, too, right? Well, like, thank you. You know, you're not the type of human being that was out running around or, you know, didn't sleep around on your wife or being a terrible father or whatever. No, but I... Th- Mark's actually a really good, what I would mm-hmm. call... Uh, a really neat, lovely human being. He's not the typical human being, I guess, that gets booted out of the church for doing some crazy, dishonest, you know, Ponzi scheme or whatever it may be. And, and we're going to get to why they 
booted you out of the church. Um, pretty simple reason um, that uh, we're going to touch on here in a minute. But uh, yeah, you're not the you're not the typical anti Mormon that lost his mind that was out there. You know. Yeah, a lot of people say, "Oh, they they just he just wants to go sin or something. He mm-hmm. he wants to." experience the natural side the natural man and whatever and that's just not me that wasn't it yeah i was completely fine being um true to my wife um not drinking um yeah, yeah i'm get to my very first beer i know the date and year yeah it was and it wasn't long ago was it july 25th 2015 yeah a couple so. weeks, a month after my excommunication was the first beer i ever tasted yeah so about yeah. two sips, <laughs> yeah. and I don't think I've had one since. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, he's a he's a good dude. So, um, do you remember as a kid or as a child having any thoughts about maybe the the church wasn't aligning with your soul, or did that not come about till later in life? No, and much later in life. Much later in life. Cool. So let's talk about why did you get, uh, um, why did the church let you go? Um, so maybe just a little bit of uh, history leading up to that point. Um, I got back from my mission. I got, uh, I'm got invo- I went to school at the University of Utah. I got involved with the LDSSA, which is the Latter-day Saints Student Association, which is really just kind of like seminary in college, call it institute. So you take institute classes, which is um, Sunday school classes uh, intermixed with your college courses. Um, And uh, socially, they had LDS-based fraternities and sororities. Uh, My wife, uh, who is now my wife, I met a girl in one of the sororities that became my wife. Um, We got married in the temple, um, started a life together, and it was all centered around the church because that's all she knew growing up. That's all I knew growing up. Um, in that uh, fraternity, I met a friend who is still my friend today, good friend today uh, that you know, uh, Christian, Christian Meyer. Met him in the fraternity. We were just like David who brought up our the wonderful farewell story. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, Christian became a real good friend of mine. Um, We all ended up getting married. Christian and I would still eat, go to lunch a couple times a week. We started going to the temple together. Just he and I would go two or three times a week. We'd attend the temple. He was uh, studying to become a seminary teacher. He's a real estate agent. He's still a real estate agent. He wanted to teach seminary. Uh, he very dedicated to the church as well, and um, also was a temple worker in Bountiful. Um, he was the guy that would check the temple right commands at the door. Anyways, a very active, dedicated Latter-day Saint friend of mine. Um, through an association that he had at the Bountiful Temple, he was introduced to a guy named Denver Snuffer who um, is famous in um, the critical circles, critical of the church, um, social circles. Um, A lot of people know him. 
Uh, at the time, he was a, an active Latter-day Saint, and I don't want to go too much into him or his teachings or whatever, but he basically claims to have met Jesus Christ face-to-face, and he wrote a book called The Second Comforter, which is the recipe guide, I guess, so that you can meet Jesus Christ and mm. talk with him face-to-face. Um, my friend Christian, for Christmas one year, gave me this book. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I think I've told him, I thought that was a really lame Christmas present. <laughs> I was <laughs> give you a church book. But uh, it, be, was imp- it was important to him. And so He wanted you to be comfortable, so he gave you a comforter. Yeah. A second a comforter. Second comforter. Maybe he's just trying to keep you warm. Maybe he thought it was a blanket Yeah, to sleep with. Maybe. A second comforter. Probably. Anyways. So uh, it, it sat on my shelf for years. I didn't even open it up. I wasn't interested in that book. I was active in the church, maybe starting to question some things that were coming up in on the internet or something, but nothing too serious. Um, but he was just gu- getting gung-ho about this Denver snuffer guy who was teaching things in the scriptures that you just didn't get from the LDS church. And I think the reason for that is because um, you know, the church has a correlation department which makes sure that every lesson manual, every talk given in conference or every everything that kind of comes out is correlated and in line with what they want you to know. And there are certain things, even in Scripture, that they don't want you to know because it'll make you question the veracity of their claims. And so um, this Denver Snuffer guy is basically expounding on the scriptures and teaching things about LDS history that that maybe you hadn't heard before, that I hadn't certainly heard before. So I start getting interested in this stuff. stuff. Um, long story short, Denver Snuffer gets excommunicated because he writes a book that happens to be critical of the uh, church leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone that's even slightly associated with him that they can find out gets excommunicated. And so I kind of got caught up all in that. Specifically, one of the teachings that he was, this Denver Snuffer guy was saying, was that in the scriptures, when people wanted to recommit themselves to Jesus Christ, to living a Christ-like life, or renew their baptismal covenants, they would get rebaptized. When early Latter-day Saints wanted to recommit themselves to Jesus Christ, they would get rebaptized. Not baptism for the dead, not the proxy baptism that maybe uh, people are familiar with, um, but you baptize yourself. So, for example, the Mormon pioneers that came out west from Nauvoo, they were um, expelled from the country, the United States, and came to Utah, which was Mexico at the time, um, as a way of dedicating themselves, rededicating themselves to Christ, they all went to the Jordan River and got baptized again. So this is not some outlandish, crazy concept. It's scriptural. It's historical. Hey, let's recommit ourselves to Jesus and get baptized. Not as a big mass organized thing, just, hey, if you want to get baptized, go get baptized. So I went and got baptized. I didn't tell anybody about it. Went with a couple buddies. We went out to Saratoga Hot Springs. Went and got baptized. So Bob ta- bab- baptized again. Baptized besides again. Besides when you were eight when years old. When I was old. eight years old. So how a, old were you when you oh went gosh. to Saratoga Springs? 
40 something. So not too long ago. Well, five, six years ago. Would have been 2014, 2015. Yeah, so five years ago. Yeah. You went and got rebaptized. Mm-hmm. And did you use the uh, language from the LDS church or some different language? Um, the language is exactly as it is in the Book of Mormon. Uh-huh. And this is maybe a little less known fact, the language that they use is just one, really one word that's switched. Huh. In the practice of the LDS Church today, it, it doesn't even match up with the, their own scriptures, the Book of Mormon. Oh, really? So today, when you were baptized, and when you get baptized in the church today, the person gets in the position holding your hands and says, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Right. In the Book of Mormon, the instruction is, these are the words ye shall use. And huh. it is, having authority given me of Jesus Christ, I baptize you. Gotcha. So it's the commission versus authority right. word. That was a distinction. And it was really just like, hey, do it the way the Book of Mormon said. Yeah. Because if it's God speaking, if you believe it's God speaking in the Book of Mormon, he says, these are the words ye shall use. That's command form. That's mm-hmm. what he wants you to do to say. Hmm. So the LDS church was wrong. So, so you went and got rebaptized at 43, 42 years old? Yeah. And then what? Uh, nothing. It was just a personal thing. I didn't say anything. Uh, I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my kids. I didn't tell my friends that, that weren't baptized with me. Mm-hmm. Um, There's just three of us, basically. Um, uh, at the same time, I was also... Um, I had stopped attending church regularly, mm-hmm. um, because, mostly because I just thought it was boring. It's the same lessons over and over and over again. And really, if anyone wants to be honest with themselves, you go back 20 years, you're hearing the same lessons 20 years ago that you're hearing now. There's nothing new. Yeah. It's all the same. And so... Uh, I was bored at church. Um, this Denver snuffer guy had all these great ideas. I would go t- with to my buddy Christian's house with his cousin Eric. So it was basically just the three of us kind of sitting around. Instead of going to church, we'd sit around. We'd study the Book of Mormon. We'd study the Doctrine and Covenants, all LDS scriptures. Mm-hmm. We'd just study it yeah. ourselves and just try to come closer to Christ. That was our sure. goal. Okay. Try to, to meet him like Denver Snuffer said we could if we yeah. read the scriptures, pray, do all these things. Um, and so, um, and, and every once in a while I'd invite my kids. Um, my son was more interested in coming and hanging out at my friend's house because he didn't have to dress up for church. Yeah. And I considered it church because we were actually studying the scriptures yeah. and good stuff and the LDS church was just boring. Um, my friend Christian's whole family ended up getting rebaptized at one point, and we were at their house uh, studying scriptures uh, in as a substitute for church one day. And the kids were talking; his kids were talking about their their baptism, and my son overheard it. We were driving home that day, and um, my son said, "Hey, hey, Dad, what's what's up with this whole baptism thing? We talked about it a little bit." He says. Um, completely uncoached by me. This is Im- important for this whole thing because a lot of people accuse me of like manipulating my son or coercing him or pressuring him to get rebaptized. I, 
I really didn't care because my mindset at the time is I wasn't really into this whole thing. I was just hanging out with my friends, really, and trying to do what I thought was right. Okay. And which son is this? You this, have two boys. Yeah, Isaac, my Isaac. oldest boy. Yeah. Okay. How old is he at the time? 11. 11 ish? 10, 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that will put it at four years ago. Sure. Yeah. Um, he said, hey, Dad, I want to get baptized, just like they did. Will you baptize? I said, okay, well, who do you want to baptize you? I wasn't going to tell him he had to have me. He said, I want you to. Okay. You want to do it at Saratoga Springs? Sure. What day do you want to do it? He picked Easter Sunday, which was coming up. I can't remember how much before. Uh, the only kind of dilemma bef- before that was uh, he said, should I invite Mom? Who, and my wife is a very... Uh, to this day, active, believing LDS woman. Um, and this I knew this wouldn't go well with her, but I didn't want to say, uh, in my heart I was saying, no, don't, don't invite her, she'll ruin it. You know, yeah. <laughs> This could be a really special thing. You know, Whatever was going on in his mind is his story, and I'll leave that to him. But he felt like he needed to be uh, rebaptized, and that was going to help him in his life, make him feel clean or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I'll baptize you. Um, but I didn't say don't invite your mom. I said, that's completely up to you. His first thing was, I, I don't want to invite her. It'd just be weird, and she'll be upset. Um, then he thought about it, and the next day, or maybe a couple days later, he said, okay, I decided to invite her. I said, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> so he did invite her. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't there. I didn't hear the conversation. I assumed that she tried to talk him out of it. It didn't work. Easter Sunday rolls around. Uh, in the morning, we drive out. So it's just my family. So there's five of us. Uh, my buddy Christian, I can't remember if Dave came to that one or not, because he, he was definitely at my second son's rebaptism, or baptism, sorry, his first baptism, because he was under eight. Um, so he, uh, so it's just, just us. Uh, and the reason I'm framing it this way, because it'll get into the whole excommunication accusations that came up later. There was no representative from the Denver Snuffer Church, which doesn't exist still to this day. It was just me. We weren't talking about Denver Snuffer or any of his sure. teachings. We were just, we our hearts were towards Jesus Christ and trying to do what we thought he wanted us to do. Right. And we're just saying, hey, Jesus, we're on your side. We're rededicating ourselves just like the people in the Book of Mormon did, just like the early Mormons did. We're yours. We're, we're your right. disciples. Um, that was my mindset. I'm sure that was my son's mindset. Um, and so it was just a small little family and friend thing baptized him. As I came up out of the water, my wife um, has a disability that has her in a a wheelchair sometimes. She has a hard time getting around to get out to this Saratoga Springs hot spot. Um, It's a little rough terrain and a walk, so she had her jazzy wheelchair there. She was sitting there watching. She didn't have a smile on her face, uh, as you can imagine, and she had her phone (laughs) in her lap, and she was recording Uh the the baptism. Sure. Um, Which I assumed was for evidence. Gathering yeah. evidence. She's the um, spy, I guess. 
She's um, the family spy. Yeah, she's the family spy. Sweet I couldn't lady, think though. of any other reason because it is completely inappropriate in LDS culture to film or even take still shots of a baptism. You're not oh. allowed to do that. You can take pictures mm-hmm. before or afterwards, After. you know, standing out mm-hmm. by the flowers and stuff. But during the actual ordinance itself, um, it's disrespectful. Oh. Um, I thought this was a sign of of the level of respect she had for her son's decision to be baptized. Yeah. baptized. But in her defense, I'll yeah. give it to her, sure. she didn't believe it was his choice. She believed I was yeah. driving yeah. this, manipulating him, forcing him because yeah. of my evil designs yeah, to destroy was, my son. <laughs> and his spiritual, I wanted my son to just burn in hell by yeah. having him do this yeah. apostate baptism. Sure. We could all um, like consider her thoughts, right? She was a concerned mother. You know, wondering if here her dad was taking her child to the dark side. Correct. And all you were doing was a simple and I was, baptism. And in my mind, I was taking him to the light side. Yeah. There's nothing wrong yeah. with baptism. What does Bap- Satan gain Absolutely from not. my son being rebaptized? That's ridiculous. Here Anyways. again, the stories as human beings create, right? Absolutely. Two, there's a mom, dad, a mom there, and a dad there, and you both got two completely opposite stories going about one event. Yeah. Welcome to life. the world <laughs> and life. Okay. So yeah. keep going. Okay. So she films she the films ceremony. It's Easter Sunday. Uh, we just get, uh, you know, wrap up in a towel, head home. Um, she goes to church. My wife goes to church. And um, I noticed that she doesn't come home when church is over. She stays an extra hour. Uh, Uh-oh. And uh, I get a call an hour after that uh, from the secretary, the bishop's secretary, that says that he wants to meet with me. Can I come and meet with him that night? So instead of eating a nice Easter dinner with my family, which was planned out, I spent two and a half hours in the bishop's office uh, because it was so important to get me straightened out. Got to get on it quick, day. bro. Got to get on it quick. Can't wait yeah. till Monday. Oh, Which no. I thought was interesting just because, like, didn't you have, Bishop, didn't you have a Easter yeah, dinner? Easter dinner. Did, didn't you yeah. want to go spend Easter with your family? I'd uh-huh. rather spend it with mine. He doesn't want to lose one of his flock, bro. He's got to get lined out. We'll give him, that's a very charitable thing towards the bishop. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, the process in the LDS Church for disciplinary councils or disciplinary action when you do something as egregious as I did is basically baptize my son. Uh, uh, the interview went, and I recorded every meeting I had. I had been listening to other people getting or hearing about other people online that had been Mm-hmm. Um, excommunicated, and so I was kind of familiarizing myself with the process, knowing that this was a possibility, and it was now on my lap. Um, so knowing that a lot of people, all these things are done in secret, you're not really supposed to talk about it, and then a lot of assumptions about my sexual misconduct, you know, I robbed a bank, whatever people yeah. want to think, they can't know. I wanted a recording, and, and not really for the public, because I don't really give a crap what anybody out there really thinks of me. I'm right. I'm just me. But I do care about what my kids think of me. Yeah. I didn't want them to think that I had cheated on their mom. Yeah. And um, 
jumping ahead just for a little bit as a little tangent on that, um, when I was, after I had been become excommunicated, and I was telling the story to a coworker, and who's not LDS, you actually have met him too, Jamie, um, he was talking to a neighbor who was LDS, and he said, hey, my friend at work uh, was just excommunicated. Oh, he committed adultery. Well, no, he was, he baptized, no. The ch our church would not excommunicate somebody for baptism. That's ridiculous, which is exactly what I think. But uh, no, he, he, he did something. He's just not being honest with you. you know, I don't know who this lady is. She's never met me, doesn't know anything about me. But just hearing the word excommunication, she automatically assumed that I committed adultery. Yeah. And I didn't want any of my kids. So I have all the recordings of my, my two and a half hours with my bishop. I met with my stake president three separate times individually about an hour each, so I have three hours of recordings with my stake president, every word that's ever said, I had to write there, I'm not hiding it, I'm not mm -hmm. secret microphones, I'm like... Did they know you were recording it? I don't know. You just had your phone with you, right? I know that uh, uh, during the actual excommunication court, I wanted to make sure everything was heard, because there's this is a big gathering, there's like 20 people in the room, mm -hmm. I had it on my knee yeah. and I had one of the members of the high council sitting right next to me like rubbing knees with me and he kept looking down because I kept like activating it to make sure it was recording yeah getting everything and I kind of at the time I wanted to like get everybody's name who was yeah. so like I could have a record because yeah. I was still believing at yeah. this time in, mm -hmm. in Jesus and all this stuff I was going to go up to Jesus and say here's the jerks that here's the names of all the jerks that uh, kicked me out yeah. of this supposed true church of yours. Right. So get, you know, throw them to hell or whatever I was going to huh. do. But So is it okay to record those meetings or you don't uh, know? So um, uh, Utah is a one-party state legally. Yeah. Utah is a one-party state still. Okay. Um, at the time, they didn't have any measures in place to stop it. Ever since people started posting their excommunication recordings online. And some people have video recordings that I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, others just audio recordings. Um, the church has now changed the policy. And this, so this was after my excommunication, where uh, if you want to attend your own excommunication court, you have to sign a document that says, I will not record any of the proceedings. Oh. And so you can make whatever judgment you want to about why they need that to be secret. Yeah. It's only affecting me. Sure. So what are they afraid of? Yeah. What, what don't they want you to hear? Yeah. What they don't want you to hear is the truth yeah. about the reason that I was excommunicated. Yeah. The assumptions and the misassumptions that people make, they're fine with that. Yeah. They're fine with people thinking that I committed adultery right. or robbed a or bank some or heinous crime. Do, do drugs or whatever it is. Wow. That's crazy. But at the time I recorded it mm -hmm. and... Um, I think it was in my pocket during the bishops, was being more sneaky with that. Because yeah. once uh, a microphone's in front of somebody, people are really quiet, right? Yeah. They're really measured in what they say, and I want them to say what they're going to say. Yeah. But during the court, I just had it out, and my wife had her phone out recording the court also. Huh. But well, wow. going into more details on that. So the, the bishop... Unless you have any other 
No, keep going. Bishop uh, interviews two and a half hours Easter Sunday. Um, the process is if the bishop finds that um, the charges against me are warranted, he can't take any action himself if it's a Melchizedek priesthood holder, which I was. Whatever the... Uh, your LDS listeners know exactly what the Melchizedek priesthood is. Um, no one else will know what it is. I can't explain it. I have no idea really what yeah. it is. <laughs> I don't think anybody can explain it. But Isn't it the, one of the higher priesthoods in the church, right? Yeah, but what is it? I, um, I don't know. I don't you're know asking either. the wrong guy. I don't know you're either. Ask, you're asking I guys that went to the church that never paid attention to one single <laughs> lesson. <laughs> I think you're better off for it. <laughs> uh, okay, so if your bishop cannot handle a disciplinary court with a Melchizedek priest holder, it has to go to the higher authority, which is the stake president. Gotcha. So he passed me off to the stake president. I met with him three different times. Uh, the, uh, the the charge ends, ends up ultimately being that I joined the Denver Snuffer Church. Mm. That's the official charge. But in two and a half, three, four, five, and I think the court was about an hour and a half, so it's close to seven hours of recordings. Denver Snuffer and this whole other apostate sect, this religion that I joined, it takes up five or ten minutes. In all this seven hours, everything else is about whether I believe the church is true, whether I believe that Thomas Monson, who was the president at the time, was a prophet. That's all that the conversation Mm -hmm. was about. So if people ask, what were you excommunicated for? According to the church, I joined an apostate sect. And and if you just frame it like that and that's all you hear, um, you go, yeah, absolutely. Well, you joined another church. You're out. Yeah. I say that I was excommunicated, and I've got the audio evidence to prove it because I don't believe that Thomas Monson was a prophet. I don't believe that they're the true church. That's it. So they asked you all the questions, and you gave them your honest answer, Mm -hmm. or you did your homework, and you decided that this church wasn't aligning up with the truth in your soul. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch in the truth claims that... that, uh, uh, People are being are leaving the church, resigning from the church, and getting excommunicated church by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. I, heard, I saw one estimate that like 10,000 people a year are leaving. The church leaders in conference are talking about, hey, we're experiencing an apostasy that we've never seen since the days of Nauvoo. Mm-hmm. They know that they're hemorrhaging membership, mm-hmm. and it's all because people just don't believe. Yeah. There's nothing substantial to hold them there. Uh, too much information out there. You can easily, readily get your hands on. So, um, uh, what do you believe after you, uh, I guess they called to let you know that you were being excommunicated, right? Before the court? Or after all the court, do they call you? Does this happen? Oh, in so the, the procedure is meeting? that you. Um, you go to court, um, and they have uh, the stake presidency, which is three men uh, that preside over the stake. They have the high council, which are 12 high counselors, stake high counselors. And they separate them into six and six. Six are supposed to be my defense attorneys, and six are the prosecutors or hmm. on the side of the church, making sure that um, my interests are 
looked after, mm-hmm. and the other six are supposed to make sure that the church isn't, mm-hmm. the church is looked after, the church's good name is, is right. kept. And so we went through that whole process. Um, and then, uh, oh, you know, one, one thing that uh, I think is interesting, um, I did so much research just on the excommunication process, like the policies and procedures, and, and, and I was downloading every copy of what's called the Church Handbook of Instructions, which is the manual on how you're supposed to excommunicate somebody and why you can excommunicate somebody, because I wanted to be prepared. Because the thing I had been learning from other people that were being excommunicated is that they send out this letter saying, calling you to the court summons, the court summons, right? And it specifically says in the Handbook of Instructions, do not give details about the charges in this letter. Mm-hmm. Just say apostasy. Mm-hmm. The only reason I can think of that you wouldn't give me the specific charge was so that I couldn't prepare a defense. Because I don't oh. hear what the specific charge is until I'm sitting in the room that day, and that's exactly the way it worked out for me. I got mm-hmm. the letter. It's a form letter. They just put my name in the blank. Really? And you can see it in the church handbook of instructions. It's what everybody is throwing up online. So here's the copy I got. They're all identical. Maybe one or two word changes. It's, a, it's just this wow. form letter. Um, and so you show up. The, the proper procedure, though, is that, uh, and this is, I think, in the Doctrine and Covenants, that you have to have two Melchizedek priesthood holders that accuse you of your crime or your sin or whatever that you're supposed to be excommunicated from. And then when you get to the court, there's a process of who speaks first, right? Because it's all laid out. You don't have to think for yourself in this church. It's all laid out. Everything is thought out for you. You just follow steps one, two, three, four. And the order of who speaks. So the the stake president is supposed to give an introduction at my court. He gave an introduction about why we were here. Brother Rollins is... um, and uh, in the proper procedures, the two people that are accusing me, the two Melchizedek priesthood holders, are supposed to talk first and, and lay out the accusations. Then I respond to the accusations, and the stake president is an is a impartial judge, and he makes, based on the evidence of the accusers and that, well, he didn't have two Melchizedek priesthood holders to accuse me. Um, I went to the court. I didn't tell my wife about it. I wasn't talking to my wife about anything at this point. I, I didn't know that she knew about it. She knew about it because my bishop was talking to her. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I went to my excommunication court. As far as she knew, she, I was going to, to a movie or something. I was just heading out with my buddy to go see a movie. I was going to head into the church house to get excommunicated. Um, and uh, she showed up. My bishop went and picked her up, and she was there. <laughs> really? So I'm like, okay. So she was there when you got there. And um, she was, I was sitting in the middle. I had my six defenders to my left, the six prosecutors to my right. There was a secretary that was taking notes. And in the two chairs of my accusers, in the two chairs of, of my accusers is my wife and my bishop. No way. And in the orders that the book says that, okay, have the accusers lay out the accusations. That's at the point where he said, we'd like to have Brittany speak first and and say what she would like to. 
mm-hmm. about. Now, technically, she was my accuser because she was the one that ratted me out right. for this whole thing anyways. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm actually completely on her side in defending her because she is a complete pawn in this. She has no idea what the process is or what. She just thinks she's the sad but supporting wife here to see her uh, husband through this process. Um, uh, she doesn't know that she's sitting in the accuser's chair. Right. And the only one that knows is maybe the stake president because he read the same manual I did. Yeah. And I had a copy of like the last six versions of it in my backpack. I had this whole ream of paper wow. to defend myself or yeah. whatever. Uh, they didn't. They weren't too interested in anything I had to say. <laughs> to say. Uh, so, uh, and then okay, now we'd like to hear from the bishop. So he took the. He's basically the second accuser. So those are my two accusers: my wife and my bishop. Wow. And during the accusal phase or the reading of the charges, my wife just said, "He's a he's a good guy. He loves Jesus. He loves the scriptures. He." He's really dedicated, and he said all these great positive things. This is my, and because I was curious about how this stake president was going to fulfill the the proper policies and procedures of the church, mm-hmm. I'm just like dumbfounded. Like, what is going on here? This is this is supposed to be my accusation. So, turns out the bishop. Oh, we love the Rollins family. They're the greatest, and Mark is so great. Oh, I, I love how dedicated he is to serving others, and he gives me this great endorsement. These are my two accusers. And so then, okay, so the charges are, the stake president goes and lays out the charges. So he was my accuser. He's the only one that, yeah, so it's just mm-hmm. kind of a, it was a kangaroo court. It was absolutely ridiculous, and they, they charged me with, there were, at the time, there were four things in the book that says, this constitutes apostasy. These are the things that someone has to do in order for you to kick them out. I don't remember what the, the two that they, I wasn't charged with, or I could look them up, but the two that I was charged with, number one was continuing to advocate the teachings of an apostate sect after being instructed by my priesthood leader not to do so. Okay. And that was an argument because yeah. I'm not an advocate to anything. Yeah. I didn't even have a farewell. That's how much I don't want to advocate even for my own mission, right? right? I don't like to talk. I'm not the I don't I sit in the back of Sunday school and if you ask me a direct question, I'll give you a one-word answer mm-hmm. and pray that you never ask me again. I right. won't talk in church. I don't like to. I'm not an advocate for anything, right. good or bad. So that was a silly word. The teaching of of an apostate sect. There isn't an apostate sect. Denver Snuffer didn't start a church. That's what they're trying to shoehorn me into this, make me fit this accusation. And I said, after being instructed, I can do all those things according to this wording as long as I don't do it after you've told me not to do it after being instructed by your priest leader not to do so. You never instructed me not to do anything because there was nothing I was doing. Yeah. So, wow. And the second one was formally joining another church. Uh-huh. And did you do that? Well, I say no. They say yes. So huh. I don't know what church it is. Yeah. But the interesting thing on that is that was the only one of the four that I thought that I was prepared for. And so I had every statement by Denver Snuffer that he's ever made. 
I had um, transcripts of every recording that he's ever said, I am not starting a new church. You don't need a new church. If you're LDS, stay in the LDS church. Just do the right thing. Right. That's, that's his message, and it always has been his message. And it, as far as I know, it can, I don't associate with the snufferites anymore. Right. Um, I left that really quickly afterwards um, because I didn't really, I wasn't really into it at the yeah. beginning. I was really skeptical. Mm. Um, but I had uh, found on LDS.org, the church's official website, a talk by Elder Ballard, who's one of the Quorum of the Twelve, so he's one of the prophets, seers, and revelators still alive today. And he uh, has a talk where he says specifically, and I highlighted it and printed it out so everybody could see it, said, we do not excommunicate people for joining another church. So I said, my defense for that is that your superior is on my yeah. side. And the stake president took that. Uh, where did you print this off of? Well, it's LDS.org. And he had a TV that was connected to an Apple TV that I knew because we had Sunday school in that room. Mm-hmm. So we can we can look it up right now if you don't if you believe I doctored it or photoshopped something or forged mm-hmm. some document. Let's look it up right now. No, 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 no. Yeah. Just set it aside. You know, let's not. Huh. Wow. Doesn't matter. So crazy. So at the end of the day, do you think they made the right decision? Um. No, not according to the policies and procedures, but I wouldn't have it any other way right mm-hmm. now. Oh, and to answer the original question that got me down this tangent, sorry. Um, after uh, the accusations and all that little process, uh, it, it's opened up for questions, and the 12 guys get to ask me any questions, ask me some questions. I answered it the best I could, whatever it was. Um, I don't believe Thomas Monson is a prophet. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And, uh, and then they excuse me to go out, uh, me and my wife and my bishop. So me and my <laughs> accusers are supposed to go sit out in the hall and the stake president goes in his office and prays for a decision and receives revelation and then comes out and explains his verdict. I knew that's what the process was. Uh, from the conversations I had had with him previously, I knew the outcome before I even stepped in the room that day. I knew it yeah. for months yeah. leading up to it. There, it. And the way it was going where I refute him with his superior's words and he just throws it away. I knew I was being what the verdict was going to be. So he excused us. Uh, my wife is slower to get up. Um, I just walked out of the room. Um, my wife, my, the bishop probably helped my wife up and went out to sit in the hall. I wasn't there. I went and got in my car because I was supposed to meet up with my buddies to celebrate and tell them all about my excommunication court. They were waiting for me at Crown Burger. Uh So I was late for that because this went longer than I expected. Uh, I went home and I grabbed my son, Isaac, um, and we went to Crown Burger to talk with my friends. And um, my wife and Bishop thought I was in the bathroom or something. <laughs> so huh. they got called back in, I guess. And Bishop maybe went and looked in the bathroom. So I wasn't there. So my car wasn't there. And so I, I wasn't there for the reading of my verdict. Yeah. Um, and I was out late uh, visiting friends. Um, I did get a call from my wife 
as I was making my way to Crown Burger. He says, where are you? Uh, oh, I just left. I'm done. Where are you going? I'm, I'm going. Oh, I, uh, I told her, and I did this intentionally to hurt her. I said, I'm, I'm going out to hang out with people that love and care about me. And that, I think she probably hung up or uh, was just choked up and crying. So yeah. I did that to kind of a, a retaliatory, like, yeah. you're, you're not my support. You're not my help. Sure. You're, you're the, you're the person that ratted me out. Yeah, my prosecutor. And so I, I was really hurt by that, obviously. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I went and hung out with people that I considered uh, yeah. my friends. Yeah, that love you unconditionally, love right? And, and don't care. Yeah. Um. So the the bishop showed up the next day as I was heading to work. He texted me and said, "Hey, can I stop by?" I'm like, sure. And then he said, "It was." Um, uh, the decision was to excommunicate. I go, oh, I know. And he starts crying. It, he, it was emotional for him. I was so ready for it, and I had just had a good night with my friends. I was really in a jovial mood. I was, yeah, I was good. on cloud nine. I was good. And so, uh, he's a really tall, he's a basketball player, collegiate basketball player. So he's really tall, I'm short. So I'm like trying to like console him, reaching yeah. up, <laughs> patting him on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, it's okay. I got excommunicated. Don't cry. It's all right. Yeah. I'll be okay. Huh. Type of thing. And he, he has to tell me officially, you know, you cannot pay tithing. Not a, not a problem. No, I'm okay with that. Okay. You can't wear your garments. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I'll go take Damn. them off. Don't get to wear those anymore. <laughs> uh, you can't pray or talk in church. Like, don't you know? You should go talk to my friend David about my mission fair. Well, I don't yeah. like talking to church. Yeah, so um, that's okay. That's okay. That's not a problem. But we want you to feel welcome at yeah. church. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I thought, uh, I have one request. I have been uh, a member of the, the ward choir, and it's the one thing that my daughter and I can can kind of bond. My daughter was in the choir. Mm-hmm. How about this? I'll continue to come to church. I promise I won't talk or participate in any lessons. Not a problem. I won't pay tithing. I promise. I won't <laughs> wear my garments. I promise. <laughs> I'll just come and sing in the choir, and, that, and then I can kind of stay connected with my daughter, who was choosing to continue to be LDS to this day, which is fine. I thought that was one way. And, and, and then you kind of keep your hook in me, and maybe you can influence me, win me back, whatever. Keep sure. me close, mm-hmm. which I thought was a win-win, because that's what he would want, sure. or what he was saying he wanted. He says, I'm not sure. I have to check. So he had to go talk to the stake president, I guess, or I don't know how far up the chain it went, and um, came back, uh, texted me while I was at work, and said, your request to be in the word choir is denied. Wow. And I thought, that just kind of shows just yeah. this whole process, this whole excommunication, it's just a way of just putting you down. Now, there, I do have a charitable side, and I will say this. There is a very, very slight possibility, very slim possibility, that the reason that that was denied is because they didn't like my singing. Hey, you never know. But I've heard you sing. Is it good? It's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> okay. It's pretty good. I would not kick you out of the church for singing. Okay, okay, okay good. And I would you <laughs> I would allow you to sing in my choir. Yeah. So. So. 
that's the, the, the that's terribleness of it. And, mm. um, you know, I can laugh about it now because it's so ridiculous now to me. Mm. It was important at the time, and it really hurt bad. But yeah, it's all good. Yeah, you get it. Wow. Pretty uh, can't sing in church, yeah, because my apostate voice will just uh, well cause people to fall away. You never know, dude. You might scare people. Uh, might scare people away with that voice. It's like you never know. It's not like I'm gonna add in the bathtub to every hymn I sing, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Why would I do that? That's really immature and stupid. So, <laughs> so I'll say again. The, did they make the right decision? You said 100%. no for the church and, and the way their process takes place, but for you, it was a good decision. Oh, man, it was the best. So at the end of the day, your wife might have done you a favor. Absolutely. Right? It all you're able out. to start thinking on your own. Yeah. Get out. and You've explored a lot of stuff in the last four or five years, right? Yeah. I couldn't let it go, which is one of the things they kind of say about all apostates. You can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. I think I have actually let it go a lot more than I did yeah. because I'm running out of stuff to research. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think I've kind of this guy's found re- all the, researched the dirt and everything under the listen sun. Listen to podcasts, listen to all the... Yeah. He's done his homework. Quote, if you want to know any church history, this yeah. guy's your man. Um... So, after the fact, and just be brief, did you did you feel like you tried to like need to fill a spiritual gap after leaving the church? Did you go look at another faith or another way of? I I pursued this Denver snuffer way, where um, I I pursued that for a couple years after I guess um, because the. Pot of gold at the end of that rainbow was meeting with the Savior, which is kind of one of the things you want to you kind of want to do in the LDS Church, anyways. That's what they're all supposed to be pointing you towards. Right. So I did that for a while, but at some point, and this is just you know we all just think, so I can't really pinpoint exactly when this shift happened. But I I was absolutely with all this research and stuff. I find out about church history and all the truth claims and all the kind of the baloney that, that's gone on uh, around all the stuff that I believed was true. I look back on it and say, I, w- I wasted 40 years of my life. I gave 40 years of my life. And that's why I was kind of pointing out just what the LDS culture is, especially in Utah. Like, it, it's everything. It consumes every piece of your life. You can't even really get a job here. Uh, you're lucky to get a job here if if the church isn't influencing it in some way because your boss is a bishop or right. or, or an elders quorum president and they bring that into the workplace. Um, that I, I felt like, man, forty years, what could I have done? I met met some some cool friends that that don't believe in the church like that, and they're happy and they're having. You know, I've, you're you're without you're one of them I'm talking about, and you have problems, but um, so did I. The the church didn't protect me from anything. I wasted my life, and I started looking at what I was doing with this Denver Snuffer movement. I didn't see it as anything more than LDS 2.0. They're doing the exact same things. They say, "Oh, don't you don't follow the leaders of the LDS church? You don't follow a prophet? That's ridiculous." You follow Denver Snuffer. Yeah. Well, it's the same damn thing. Yeah. So, similar. 
I, I, I realized that I didn't want to waste another 40 years because I'm not going to live much, much past 80. I wasted 40 years as a Latter-day Saint Mormon. I wasn't going to waste 40 years as a Denver snuffer guy. And, and then at 80, go, man, I wasted those three. Now what am I going to do? Yeah. So um, where I'm at now um, is that I'm living life based on my experiences. I've had friends share spiritual experiences with me and say, hey, I believe in the afterlife. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the LDS church. I believe in the snuffer thing because of this experience. And I said, if that's your experience, chase it. Go yeah. with it. Worship God. You met him, worship him. He's never shown up to me. Mm-hmm. He knows where I live. <laughs> if he wants to show up, I'm all his. He's got your address. I've, got, I've, I've shown him that I'm willing to follow him when he's not around. Yeah. Show up. Yeah. And until then, I'm going with my experiences. If my friend says, hey, I had a spiritual experience. I believe in this. Great. Mm-hmm. Believe in it. As soon as I have one of those, I'm with you. Yeah. But I haven't had it. I'm not going to live. I'm basically saying I'm living for me right now. Yeah. You're going to the, the Mark Rollins church. Whether I believe those right. experiences or not aren't important. Sure. You believe them. I don't. It's all about your experience. And I'm happy for, sure. for it. Hey, you, that'll wrap up uh, part one of Mark Rollins' uh, podcast. Um, And your homework this week and your exercise this week is to go and question one of your belief systems. And that could be anything. And what I want you to do is ask the question, find a belief. And here again, it can be outside of religion. And am I a mother? Am I a father? Am I a brother? Am I a sister? Uh, am I anxious? Am I depressed? And your question is going to be, is it true? And the next question to be, you're going to ask yourself is, can I absolutely know it's true? And see where your mind goes. See where your soul takes that question. Kind of let it settle in your belly and see what answers arise. So thank you. This is the Minds Gym podcast. This is your Turbo Lover. And we'll see you next week. And by the way, please share with all your friends, family, loved ones. Uh, push this podcast out to anybody you can think that would have interest. And I really do appreciate your guys' support. Love you guys. Peace out. <laughs>